Well, we're in a series called My Prayer for You. We're looking at the prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. You see, around AD 60 to 62, somewhere along in there, a mere 30 years or so after Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Apostle Paul was traveling the world and preaching the gospel, telling people the good news about Christ, and as a result of his faithful ministry, he was actually put in prison in Rome. There's not a whole lot to do in prison, especially in that day. There's no TV to watch, There's, there was no radio to listen to, there was not a whole lot to do sitting in a dark, damp prison cell chained to a guard day after day, night after night. And so the Apostle Paul did the one thing that, that he knew he could do, he prayed. Apparently he prayed a lot. And he also wrote letters. That's another thing he could do. And we're fortunate that when he wrote the letters, he often included his prayers in the letter. And there's four letters that he wrote to uh, individuals and churches during this time while in prison. He may have written more than that, but there's four of them that became part of our Bible. He wrote three letters to churches, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, while he was in prison in Rome. And he wrote one letter to an individual named Philemon, a short letter uh, to an individual named Philemon. So in this series, we're looking at the prayers that Paul prayed for those three churches while in prison. I got to thinking about this old man sitting there writing these prayers out and sending them in a letter to someone. I thought that's a pretty good model for us, isn't it? I know sometimes you send out an email or a text or, or something like that. Say, hey man, I'm praying for you. Uh, maybe it would be good for occasionally to actually write out the prayer. Mail it to them. Send it to them. Email it to them. Write out the prayer of what you're praying for them. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is Paul sat down, he wrote out a prayer, he told the people what he's praying about, and these are some very dear people to him. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Philippians chapter 1, open God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. I know that we live in a day of instant messages and emails, but let me ask you a question. Do you remember the joy of going to the mailbox and finding a letter from a friend or a relative you haven't seen in a while? Some of you remember that joy. Some of you perhaps, you don't. If, if you're younger, you don't even know what that's, a letter in a mailbox, what is that? But, but the joy of actually going to your mailbox, pulling out th- that mailbox, a letter from a relative or a friend, or maybe a sweetheart you haven't seen in a while. Uh, Lisa and I, I've told you before, but when we were dating, there was a period of time, she was in Maryland and I was in Tennessee, and this was back in the dark ages of, uh, when they didn't have email and text messages. and Well, if we had text messages back then, we would have blown up that phone, I'm telling you. So, so we wrote letters back and forth. While she was in Maryland I was in Tennessee, we wrote letters back and forth. And I still remember going to the mailbox and being excited because I saw this letter from her. I didn't even need to read who it's addressed to. I instantly recognized the handwriting and knew that she had written a letter to me. That's the way... This was for the church at Philippi. You see, letters become special because of who sent them to you. Because of the person who wrote them. That's what makes the letter often special. William Barclay calls the book of Philippians a letter from a friend to his friends. See, Paul begins most of his letters stating his apostleship. In Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians and other letters, Romans and other letters that he's written, Paul would always begin that letter something like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
He often began his letters by stating his apostleship, and he did that for two reasons. He did that to show why he had the right to write to them, why he had the right to correct a problem in their church. He was an apostle, so he's going to write in this letter some things that are kind of negative. He's going to write in a letter some things that are kind of hard to hear, and so Paul would begin his letter by saying, listen, I just want to remind you, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. So he, he used that phrase to signify that he had the right to write to them. He also used that phrase to show why they have the duty to listen to him. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. And that's the way he began most of his letters. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But not Philippians. In Philippians, the whole tone of the letter is different. Paul writes not as an apostle. He writes as a friend. He writes as a friend to his friends. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with, all, with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think of the memories that must have swirled through the minds of the people in Philippi when they read this letter. You see, ten years prior to this, Paul had come to their city out of concern for their souls and with the call of God on his life. It had been ten years since Paul had left that city. It had been a decade since they had heard from him or seen him. And now they hear from him again. Now, if you will, if I can put it this way, now they get a letter in their mailbox. Now they receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, a letter from their pastor, a letter from their teacher, a letter from their friend. He resurfaced in their lives ten years later through this letter. And he had good memories of them. Look in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now. Paul said, listen, when I think of you folks, I just have such good memories of you. Which is interesting. Because when the Apostle Paul was in Philippi, he did not have a good experience in some situations. Instead of focusing on those bad things that happened to Paul, Paul was focusing on the good things that he experienced. If you don't take the time to do it now, but in, in Acts chapter 16, it describes some of the things that happened to Paul while he was in Philippi. He was hounded by a demon-possessed girl. He was arrested illegally. He was beaten he was put in stocks. He was publicly humiliated. Those are hardly the kind of things that make good memories. And yet, here's Paul saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul chose instead of focusing on the bad things, to focus on the good things. Notice what he says in verse 3. This is important. I thank my God every time I remember... What's that next word? Every time I remember you. Rather than focusing on what happened to him, he was focusing on the people from that church. He remembered Lydia and how her whole household came to faith in Christ on the riverbank. He remembered the midnight singing. Yes, he was in jail, but he remembered that good midnight singing and how the jailer, the Roman jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? He remembered how that Roman jailer was saved and his whole family and they were baptized that night. He remembered that poor demon-possessed girl finally being set free from her oppression. And now, ten years later, 
Paul had developed the capacity to remember the best and forget the rest. If you want to enjoy life, maybe you need to do that as well. Maybe you need a selective memory. You see, there are painful times for all of us. There are painful situations we all go through. Maybe you need to ask God to help you to develop the capacity to remember the best and forget the rest. Paul was selective in his memory, but not in his pray. Look how he look for the word all in verse four and five. In all my prayers for some of you. That's not what he says, is it? In all my prayers for all of you, now always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was selective in his memory, but not in his praying. He said, I'm praying for all of you, and when I pray for all of you, I'm praying with joy. And here's the reason he was praying with joy. He talks about their partnership in the gospel. That's a key phrase in this chapter. You might want to underline that in your Bible or or highlight it. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. A major, major theme in this first chapter and even in the whole book. The Greek word partnership there is the Greek word koinonia. And it, it literally could be translated fellowship. But in this context, it's talking about a working fellowship. It's talking about a working partnership, an agreement between two parties who are committed to a, ta- to a common task. Paul said, when I pray for you, I- I'm praying for you because you're partners with me in the gospel. And I'm praying with you with great joy because you're partners with me in the gospel. You're not just some people out there that I pastored one day 10 years ago. You're not just some people that I knew 10 years ago. You're partnering, even to this day, he would say, you're still partnering with me in the gospel. Now, part of that was that they were supporting him financially, but it was more than that. They were continuing the work that he started in Philippi. And so so there was this ongoing partnership between those two. He said, even now, you're partnering with me in the gospel. As I was reading that and thinking about partners in the gospel, I couldn't help but think of our go-partners. Tony and Beth Lucetto in Cleveland, and J.D. and Natalie Mangrum in Boston, and now Kayla Stevens in Boston, Jason and Kelly Rumbo in Nashville, Doug and Jennifer Lawson in Kenya, Rob and Nicole, and I won't use their last name, in Southeast Asia. These are more than people that we know. These are our friends who are partnering with us in the gospel. And we pray for them with joy. Because we know them and we love them. We have a special relationship with them. And because we see God do something amazing in their lives and through their lives. So we partner with them and we pray for them with joy. And that's what Paul was doing at the church of Philippi. He was writing this letter and he was saying, listen, you guys are very, very special to me. Can I pause here for a moment and say, as Paul said in chapter chapter 1 verse 3, I thank God every time I remember you. My joy to be your pastor. And I love you deeply. And I want the Lord to be honored and glorified in this place. That's the kind of relationship Paul had with the church at Philippi. They were not just people to him. You're not just people to me. You're you're my family. You're my friends. We've been together for a long time. And so that's the kind of relationship Paul had. Now, ten years removed from seeing them, Paul says, listen, I'm still praying for you because of your partnership in the, in the gospel. And then he says in verse 6, something very important, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul emphasized that the work being done in the lives of the Philippians was the work of God. Paul was the messenger that brought the good news to Philippi, but God was the one who was changing lives. And I just want to break down verse 6 for a moment. If you allow me to kind of deviate a little bit. I want to make sure we, we pause for a minute and understand what he says in verse 6 because there's three important aspects of salvation in verse 6. And I want to read past it. First of all, Paul reminds us all that salvation originates with God. He says it this way. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you, he who began, who began the good work, God did. Who, who begins the work of salvation in your life? God does. Salvation always originates with God. Salvation, though, is also sustained by God. He who began a good work in you will carry it on. I want to tell you something. Listen, listen. If your salvation depended on how good you are, you wouldn't last five minutes, nor would I. If, if, if our salvation was on our shoulders of how good we could be and how well we lived and all of that kind of thing, our salvation would not last very long. One of the reasons that I believe in eternal security is because of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on. God not only starts salvation, He sustains it. Then He says, and salvation is brought to completion by God. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest mistakes Christians make is to view salvation as a one-time event. But that idea is foreign to the teaching of Scripture. God begins salvation, and He's going to complete salvation in your life. May I say it to you this way? What God begins, He always, without exception, completes. Man, that would have been a good place to put an amen. Maybe I'll try it again. What God begins, He always, without exception, completes. Hebrews describes it this way. Hebrews says, He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul is writing to a people who administered to about 10 years before this, and he still has the confidence that God is still at work in their lives. And then look what he says in verse 7 and 8. Very tender words in verse 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. You might want to underline, I have you in my heart. But whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. A lot of scholars believe that there's some Old Testament symbolism here in the words of Paul in these verses. You see, in the Old Testament days, the high priest wore a special garment called an ephod. And the ephod was a, a, a garment that he wore over his chest. He wore it over his heart. On the ephod were 12 stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on the stone. 12 beautiful stones. Each jewel had a name of a tribe engraved on it. And those were attached to this ephod, to this vest that the Old Testament priest would wear. And it symbolized that he was carrying these names, these tribes, these people over his heart. Paul was saying much the same thing. He says, I have you in my heart. You're not just people that I started a church with 10 years ago. You're not just people that I have some kind of connection with. You're not just people who support me financially. I have you in my heart. 
And then Paul says in verse 9, and this is my prayer. You know, that's what the series is about, my prayer for you. We're finally getting to the prayer. Paul says, here's my prayer. This is what I'm praying for you. Now remember, Paul is praying for his partners in the gospel. He talks about that. Now certainly the prayer we're going to be looking at, you could pray for any Christian. Please hear this. You could pray this for your parents. You could pray this for your children. You could pray this for your grandchildren. You could pray this for your friends. Any believer, you could pray this prayer. It would be appropriate to pray for anyone. But this prayer is especially a good model to pray for anyone doing ministry. Listen to me, church. If you want to know how to pray for our Go Partners, here's a good model. If you want to know how to pray for your staff, here's a good model. If you want to know how to pray for your pastor, here's a good model. If you want to know how to pray for your BSF teacher, here's a good model. If you want to know how to pray for your deacons, here's a good model. If you want to know how to pray for anyone doing ministry, anyone who is a partner in the gospel, here's three things you can pray. Let me give you these things quickly. Number one, pray that they will overflow in their love for others. Pray that they will overflow in their love for others. Paul says in verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Now he's not condemning them for being loveless, rather it's just the opposite. He's acknowledging that they already love people, they already have a heart for people, but the word abound shows that he's wanting them to grow in that love. Paul's simply encouraging them to continue what they are already doing. He's reminding them that real love never reaches a quota. Real love never has an end. Real love continues to meet needs. You know, here's why that's such an important prayer to pray for people who are involved in ministry, for people who are, are sharing the gospel with other people. Everybody, look at your pastor. I'll tell you, this is so important. You know why it's important to pray that prayer? Because when you're involved in ministry, when you're sharing the gospel, guess who you have to deal with? People. It's an old preacher joke. Don't get offended. It's, I didn't start it. It's an old preacher joke. It said ministry would be wonderful if it weren't for the people. Somebody else put it this way, said, you know, loving your neighbor wouldn't be so bad if they weren't your neighbor. When you're out sharing the gospel, when you're doing the work of ministry, it's so easy to get focused on the ministry, on the task, on the job, that you lose sight of who you're supposed to be loving. So Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. You're involved in ministry. I'm praying that your love for others will grow. You already love people, but I'm praying that you will love people in your community like you've never loved them before. I'm praying you'll love people in your city like you've never loved them before. I'm praying you'll love the people you're reaching out to like you've never loved them before. When you pray for another Christian, pray that they will grow in their love for people because guess who they have to try to reach? People. So when you're praying for your go-partners, listen, our go-partners are serving in some hard areas. They're serving in some areas where Christianity is not welcome or wanted many times. And so we need to pray for our go-partners that their love for the people they're reaching out to will continue to grow. The love for the people they're reaching out to will continue to abound. We, we don't want their hearts to grow cold toward the people they're trying to reach. So he, he said, this is what I'm praying for you there in Philippi. I'm praying that your love that you already have will abound, will grow deepen. Number two, it's interesting, he also prays that they'll have a discerning love. A discerning love. 
says in verse 9 and 10, This is my prayer that your love may abound. It will increase more and more. And then he says, In knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. That's very interesting. Although Paul prayed for an ever-increasing love, he also prayed that the love would be a discerning love. You see, the heart and the mind have to work together in ministry. As we reach out to people in love, we have to reach out to them in knowledge and insight. As you reach out to people in love, you also have to have a discernment about you. And that's hard in ministry. You want to love everybody, you want to help everybody, you want to do everything you can. Then Paul says, listen, I'm not only praying that your love will grow, but I'm praying that your discernment will grow with that love. See, discernment is the mark of maturity. If you see a little baby or a little, ch- a little child and, and they see a four-legged creature, they may call every four-legged creature they, they see a bow-wow or a doggy. But as that child grows, guess what happens? They begin to recognize that's a cat, that's a cow, that's a horse. You see, as they mature, they gain discernment. Apostle Paul is praying that for the church. So when you pray for other believers, pray that they'll have a discerning love. And here's why. Look at verse 10. What he says at verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is... What's that last word? You may be able to discern what is best. See, our time and our resources are limited, so we have to discern what's best. We don't have unlimited time. We don't have unlimited resources. We have to discern what is best. In other words, a discerning love will enable us to determine the things that should be our priority. Well, discerning love will keep us away from side issues. It will help us to see the difference between what's important and what's irrelevant. Between things that are right and things that are wrong. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying because you're a partner in the gospel. That, that your love for the people you're trying to reach, their, their love for the city will continue to grow. But I'm also praying God gives you discerning love. So you'll do what's best. And then number three, pray that they will live, that, that they will live a blameless and pure life. That they will live a blameless and pure life. Verse, verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Whenever you pray for your partners in ministry, whenever you pray for our go partners or your staff or, or whoever it is you're praying for, we should always ask that God would help them to live lives that would be pleasing and honoring to Him. That's what He's talking about. Colossians 1.10 says, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. And I long for that. I long to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and honors Him in every way. Paul is praying that for his partners in ministry. I'm praying you'll live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. I'm praying you live a life that's blameless and pure. Let me tell you something about sin. Listen carefully. Tell you something about sin. If sin could take Samson down, who is the strongest, if it could take Solomon down, who was the wisest, if it could take Judas down, who was the closest, one of the closest to Jesus, if it could take David down, a man after God's own heart, it can take you down and it can take me down. 
Can I remind you that those who are doing ministry, those who are sharing the gospel, our go-partners and everyone else, can I remind you those who are doing ministry and sharing the gospel have a huge target on their back. Just one example. If Satan takes down just one of our go-partners, he's not taking down just a go-partner, he's taking down an entire ministry. Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you'll have an ever-expanding love. I'm also praying you'll have a discerning love. And I'm praying that you'll lead a life that's pure and blameless. You've got a target on your back. You've got a target on your back. Because you're a partner in the gospel. So you never know. You just never know what our partners are experiencing. You never know the spiritual warfare they have to endure because of where they are and what they're doing and where they're serving. The dark places that they're living in, the spiritually dark places they're living in and what they have to endure and go through. You never know that the warfare, you may never experience what they experience. The target on their back is huge. Don't forget the target on the back of somebody next to you is huge too. You don't have to be a missionary to have a big target on your back. So when you see the pictures of our go-partners on your refrigerator, just stand there for a moment and pray that they'll lead a pure, blameless life. And, and look at the, the, uh, how long this is to last. He says, what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. In other words, that they'll be pure and blameless until the very end. I want to tell you something, there's a lot of garbage in the headlines right now about religious leaders. There's a lot of problems right now, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, in the news right now, about our religious leaders. I'm not going to get into all of that, I'm just saying this. You need to pray for those who are partners in ministry. You need to pray for those who are leaders in ministry. That they'll be pure and blameless all the way to the end. All the way to the end. They won't flame out and fall out three-fourths of the way through their ministry. But they would be faithful to the Lord all the way to the end. Then he tells us why at the, at the very last part of verse 11. Why all of this is important. To the glory and praise of God. We want to be faithful to the end so that our lives will bring glory and praise to God. Did you hear that, church? We want to be faithful to Him all the way to the end so that our lives will bring glory and praise to God. So this is how you pray for people in ministry. This is how you pray for your partners in ministry. This is how you pray for those who are sharing the gospel. This is how you pray for your leaders. I hope this is how you will pray for your pastor and your staff. God, do a work in his life, in her life, in their lives. Pray that we'll overflow in love for others because ministry is about others. Pray that we'll have a discerning love, that we'll be able to discern between right and wrong, between good and bad, between trivial and vital. And pray that we'll live a blameless and pure life. Just, just pray this prayer over and over. God, keep them close and keep them clean. Pray that for me. Pray that for your staff. Pray that for your deacons and our leaders in our church. God, keep them close. Keep them clean. Pray that for your BSF teacher. God, keep them close. 
even clean. How about we do that now? Would you join me as we pray? Invitation is, is very simple. It'll be very short unless you're coming today. But if you'd like to come and get on this altar, if there's some leaders you want to pray for, maybe it's our Go Partners. Pray that they'll overflow in their love for others because that's who they're ministering to. They're ministering to others. Pray that they'll have a discerning love, knowing what's best. Pray they'll live a blameless and pure life because there's temptations around them everywhere. The target on their back is huge. God, keep them close. Keep them clean. You just don't know how your prayers may affect someone. Help keep them on their feet. Father, in the name of Jesus, so grateful for your word. So encouraged by this truth. Help us to pray for our partners in ministry. May it be for your honor and for your glory. Jesus' name I pray, amen.